guys, welcome to another episode of On Air with Rebecca. Today is all about encountering the presence of God and not only hearing God's voice, but obeying what He says. We're gonna be talking about that with today's guest. He is a TV host, author, producer, minister, dad, husband, and so much more. But what I love about our guest is that he's always quick to share what God has shown him, and he truly helps people in their own God calling. And welcome to the show, Sean Bowles. I'm so glad to be here. This hey, is awesome. So do you call yourself a prophet? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just like, you know, no, I don't. I no. just, I think there's moments where I, I carry that, where it's important, mm-hmm. but most of the day, you know, like we are who we are. Yeah, mm-hmm. John Paul Jackson was like a spiritual father of mine. And, and, you know, I just think the prophetic is so important and I think it's really misunderstood. Yeah. And I just think we're getting to a place where I think more and more people are gonna operate in it and we're gonna learn to do it in a way that's humble and loving and kind, but powerful and yes. changes lives yes. and still speaks the truth, but does it in a loving way. So I know that you're kind of one of the people who are discipling those. And I just think that's really exciting. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to move a good segment of the church forward and just saying, this is part of how we're wired. We're yeah. all called to hear God. And there was a group of people who helped make that safer by being prophetic, maybe back in the 50s, the 80s, who were the prophets, who you know kind of emerged as weird characters at times, yeah. but had really strong words that actually formed whole movements that are a lot of us go to church to, you know? And so I feel like now though, there's something about everybody understanding I'm wired for connection, relationship. So why wouldn't I apply that to God and actually start to really listen? And I think God's really talking. And I, it's funny because a media group pursued me and said, would you do a TV show with us? And I said, why are you asking me? And they said, because um, we searched on like Google's top trending searches for Christians. And the number one is how to hear God's voice. Yeah. So that's what Christians care about right now. Yeah. It's so interesting because speaking of hearing God's voice is I'm actually reading a book right now by Derek Prince called Hear God's Voice. Yeah, and it's a great book. It, oh, it's so good. And, you know, it's something that for so long seemed difficult to describe. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that teaching has really helped me with understanding how to hear God's voice, but how important and mm-hmm. how throughout the whole Bible, in every dispensation, he says, God was always had this model of hearing his voice and yeah, obeying him. Absolutely. No matter if it was the patriarchs, whether it was, you know, under the law of Moses or the New Testament, through all, all the dispensations, God was always saying, hear my voice and obey my commands. Yeah. And so I thought to myself, how ever as a church did we think not hearing God's voice was pivotal when it was foundational? And he talks, yeah. yeah, and he talks about how Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And he says, A mark of a believer is hearing God's voice. Yeah. Well, everyone we celebrate, like if there's a Christian that you celebrate and go, man, they're amazing. If you go and ask them their story, they'll tell you how God led them to get there. And it's a very, usually it's a very prophetic story. Even if they don't use that language, it's a very prophetic story of God showed me, God led me, God. And that's what we respect when we see somebody who partners with their faith in a way that's tangible and real and sees a real difference. Yeah, and I think one of the things I've heard you talk about before, and I think you could maybe help people who are watching, is you help people connect to times in their lives when God was speaking to them, even though they didn't even realize yeah. it. Can you speak to that? I call it reverse engineer. My dad's an engineer, and so he's for the Air Force, and uh, he's retired now, but there's a process where you look back and you see how you got to where you got. And so I applied that to our spiritual journey, our spiritual faith, and go, okay, 
what are the big monuments in your life? Let's look at the big things. I remember this, this business guy said, my wife's the prophetic one. And I'm like, I know your wife's not the only prophetic one because you have this incredible career and you're a Christian who's strong faith. So I know you've heard from God. I know you've connected your faith to what you're doing. How did you do it? And he's like, well, I read the Bible. No, 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 no. What is a big win you had in your life, in your family or in your business? And he's like, well, I, you know, I talked to my son and right before he got married to this girl and the girl wasn't really grounded in family. And so I talked to, to him and her and I said, I'm gonna give you the down payment for a house. And so you guys could buy not just a starter home, but a dream home. So part of your inheritance will come now. And he, he talked to his other kids to make sure it was clean with them and the whole thing. And they said, yes. So when he did this, the girl who had come from a third world nation, highly educated, she had taken a break to meet her husband in the first place at a missions program. But she wanted to travel the world, never wanted to settle anywhere, wanted to live in 20 countries in her lifetime, mm-hmm. didn't really want kids, never had a family member with a, who owned a house. And then she marries this guy who's deeply rooted in family, loves you know like being nesters, the whole thing. So when, when he bought that house for them or helped them buy that house, she, in her first year of marriage, she nested in a house for the first time in her life. They got pregnant right away, which she never thought she wanted to get pregnant. They got pregnant right away. They had two babies, with, with three babies within their first five years. And it changed the trajectory of her life because mm-hmm. it cut off something that was almost like a gypsy, vagabond, orphan spirit. Yeah. It cut off something in her, but it also established them in a way. And I said, so how did you get that? Like, how did you get that idea to buy them a house? Or, and he goes, well, my wife and I were gonna go before and ask God what we should do for them, but my wife's the prophetic one. But we went back into our prayer room in our house that's designated, and the idea came to me. And I'm like, so the anointed idea that cut off generational curses, changed the trajectory of their life, caused her to be a career woman, but from home first. All this stuff, that was just a good idea. You're not get, you're, you're the better than the Holy Spirit of this. I mean, that's, that's yeah. incredible. And he's laughing, he goes, well, I mean, it, it totally came from God, but it was in my head. I said, that's how we hear from God most of the time. Most people get impressions. God shares the same headspace and heart space as us. And he drops his thoughts and his, and his heart into us. And most of us are trying to overcomplicate it where we're like going, you know, God, I wanna hear from you. And then he, he talks to us after we say that at church and says, give a little bit more money this week. And we're like, that's not God. But like, why would <laughs> yeah. we think that in the first place? Or they say, we need volunteers for the children's ministry. And your arm goes up and you're like, I don't wanna volunteer for children's ministry right now. I'm too busy. And, but you know, you're, you feel compelled to, or maybe it's a conviction of sin or you're like where to read the Bible or whatever. Mm-hmm. We, we, we believe that's spiritual, but we over-spiritualize the process of hearing from God's voice and we don't count it in the same way. Like I don't lead myself in a conviction very well. Like I'll stay in the same patterns over and over of human weakness and sometimes even, especially when I was younger, sin. But man, when the Holy Spirit comes on me and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't do that anymore because it's blocking my ability to connect to what God has for me. Mm-hmm. That's the Holy Spirit, that's His voice. Yeah. But we don't call it that. So I think Christians have over uh, sophisticated what it is to hear from God. But what's really interesting that you say that because it's not this audible voice. I mean, not even most people have that experience, but it's like you said, it's an impression. What's interesting is when I was reading that book by Derek Prince, I don't know what it was. There was just some kind of connection where he talked about asking God to pray that you would have a hearing heart and a sensitive heart. But when I connected the hearing God and the obeying God, like really obeying him, because what would happen? Because it's not always the strong, you need to do this. It can be more subtle. I would kind of put it to the side, oh, that wasn't God. And it's kind of like for reasons you would say, it's sometimes not what your flesh wants to do, yeah. right? <laughs> Which actually is an indicator probably is God. But when I connected that 
together. And I, when God speaks, how important it is to listen and obey and understanding that that's his model. Now I've made that connection and I know, so it's good. almost like I can hear him clearer mm-hmm. when I started doing that. And I take it really seriously. When I think I hear him, I'm just like, nope, I don't care how I feel, what yeah. I want. I know, and it always ends up being the best thing in the end. So I'm just so thankful that we're talking about this because every believer needs to be hearing from God. God wants to speak to every single believer. And He wants to speak to us all the time. It's not even for just one, for even key moments in life. Of course, it's for that, but God wants an intimate relationship with us. And He wants us to have that communication with Him through our day-to-day life. Well, I think there's there's this thing where God speaks audibly or clearly sometimes when there's no other way he can get through. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've interviewed a bunch of people who weren't even saved when they heard God the first time. Yeah. And it led them to salvation. And But our common way that we hear God all the time is that we share space. We are his temple, so he lives in us. Yeah. So he gently nudges us from within. And we have to learn how to pay attention to that. And it's not just audible, and it's not just internal audible. It's not just the normal thoughts we think. And kids and prisoners are the ones who negotiate their rights the most. They're always negotiating. So I watch my kids when I'm like, I have an agenda for them. Like, we're going to you know, clean up a little bit after dinner. Then we're going to take a bath. And we're going to do all the things we're going to do. And my kids are trying to get more time and more space for what they want in that. Yeah. And so they're going to like ask me questions and I might have an answer for them, but I really still have an agenda for them until they're older. I'm going to have an agenda to help them to get everything moving forward and whatever. And they don't always understand that. And they're always negotiating their rights. And so I'm looking at them going, I love this because you're learning how to be powerful in that. But at the same time, we're still going to clean the house. We're still going to do what we're going to do. God has an agenda for us. And a lot of times we come to God with our own agenda and we're wondering, why aren't you answering me? And he's like, I actually have so much for you that I'm, that's already in the pre-planned stages. And just, just come on, come on, come on. And so we're frustrated because we're we're trying to get direct answers about direct things in our life. Like, yeah. who am I going to marry? Or how much, where can I make the most money? Or all these kinds. And they're all important to God. Like, those concerns are really important to God. But sometimes he's not trying to answer the things that are the most crucial to that moment in our lives because he's even going deeper than that. And he's changing us from the inside out, not just trying to affect the outcome of who we're married, but actually affecting the outcome of who we are as a person so we marry the right person in the first place. It's so true. It's not just like helping us make the right decisions. It's transforming us to be more like him. And you know, one of the things that I've really been compelled to in this season of my life, and you'd be able to relate to this as a father, because when you have little kids and... Sleep can be all over the place. (laughs) Um, And you might not be getting a lot of sleep and you're trying to spend time with your spouse and you're in ministry and you're trying to do all these different things. You don't have, you go from being single and having all the free time in the world to being a parent working and all this kind of stuff and you have the littlest amount of free time. And I have in this busy, probably one of the busiest, hardest seasons of my life, understanding the importance of carving out time, mm. even if it's not a lot of time. Oh, and it makes me, emo- I'm not like emotional crying, but like spiritual, because it resonates with the Lord. Um, but it's been crazy because, um, but I cry. So to give clarification to people who are watching, when I feel God's presence, a lot of time I cry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like this is important for people who are watching because I think God, God actually spoke to me about this a while ago, he said, I understand um, how busy life is, especially in this day and age. And he says, the sacrifice of your time is yeah. one of the sweetest sacrifices you could give me. And in this really busy, really difficult time in my life, it's been amazing because 
in that book by Derek Prince, I keep referring it because it's just what I'm reading right now. Um, he said, you have to get to a place where you carve out time to hear his voice and not just in the day-to-day. And you can hear God on the go. You can hear God in your car. You can hear God whenever. So I'm not trying to limit people, but there is something about setting a time, time setting aside time to listen to him yeah. and to be still. And that's something I'm learning even now is how to be to be still within your soul. Because when you have so much going on, you have so much in your mind, when you get still, your mind wants to start processing and thinking mm-hmm. and getting stuff done or thinking about what do I have next or whatever is going on. And there's something about this season of my life where I will just sit down and I will still my soul. And I understand now when it says, be still and know that I am God but I will get still within my own soul and I will feel God's presence so strong. Like the description is like a vibration. I get why like new age people talk about vibrations, not that I use that terminology, but God's presence, like it feels like this peaceful, like vibration with me. And it just feeds my spirit, it feeds my soul, it feeds my, it almost calms my whole physical body. Yeah. but it's just like, I don't even have to be doing anything. I'm literally lying on my couch. It's so funny. I'm not on my knees usually, or even though I believe in all that, but it's almost like, I feel like God's so happy that I'm taking the time in such a crazy season that it's like, I'm going to meet you right where you are. Mm. And I just love it. But I understand that internal struggle of being like, I've been with my kid all day who I love so much. Um, Or I've been this and this and this, and you just want like me time. And I believe, um, I believe in having me time, 100%. But, sorry, let me just fix that. But I realize I cannot sacrifice my time with the Lord over time for myself. Well, and I think, and you're in some really fulfilling relationships, and especially you and your husband, who I love. Um, I think of me and Sharif, there's times when we're exhausted. We have no more output. We've been a butler all day. We've been in acts of service mode galore. We've used all of our words. Mm -hmm. And we just sit down next to each other, lay down next to each other, and we just like touch heads and we just sit there for a minute. And And we recharge. And when you're in a, a relationship that recharges you, mm-hmm. and it's not just self-recharge, but a relationship that recharges you, and there's more energy given to you because if you're in that commitment or you're in that real relationship, you understand that place with God too, that when you spend time with God, and it's not the devotional time, it's not the study time, yeah. it's not the works time, but here I am, God. You know, just here I am, and I, I can relate to you because I, I feel a lot of times when I'll just put my hands out since I was a little kid, and I feel like his hands sometimes are on my hands. Yes. Since I was a little kid. Oh. And and so there's times Precious. when I'm just and you're just you're still like you said, and you're just like, but it's like a battery you get charged up, and I think mm-hmm. that's where a lot of people they know how to recharge themselves sometimes mm-hmm. through entertainment or through hobbies or through whatever. It's quiet but they don't know how to be recharged by a relationship. Mm-hmm. Especially some people, when I said about marriage, they can't relate to us. Maybe, you know, like in, in my marriage, it does recharge me. Some people don't have that in their marriage because it's, it's a conflict zone, not a blessing zone. Yeah. But your relationship with God, that's what's so sad to me about most Christians and, and all of Christianity is that they've not learned to let God fill them. Yeah. And, to, and to that connection of being one with God, where all of a sudden you're like, 
okay, I got, I got my second wind right now. And I've had to do that with Sheree many times. Sometimes we'll be in the kitchen, we're cooking, we're all done. We're just done. We're yeah. five days into school that week. And we're like, oh my gosh. And we'll just like collapse in each other's arms and just like hold each other for a minute. Yeah. We're like, okay, we're good. And we keep going. And I feel like, so when you have that in your natural relationships, I had that with my parents. I had that, you know, when you have that, then you understand or you expect that from God. But unfortunately, we live in a really broken down society where people don't do self-care and they don't do relational care. So yeah. it's like, that doesn't feel productive or it feels anticlimactic when you feel like, oh, it's just one more thing I have to do. And so I love that you're saying this because hearing God shouldn't, of course, there's things, like I set aside time every week to actually do the prophetic. So I have assignments, people who've asked me for prayer, movements I'm involved with, I'm on boards, I'm on advisory teams. I have business leaders, I have political leaders who've asked me for prayer. So I set about five hours a week aside, sometimes it's two times a week, sometimes it's one time a week, to really pray and hear God for those people. That's work. Yeah. That's prophetic ministry. But walking with God, just knowing Him, every day I just kind of, I have a connect time where I'm like, okay, you know, and, and, and I bring the concerns of my heart to Him, but it's not a devotional time. Mm-mm. It's a time of like connection. It's a time of resting in Him. It's a time of abiding. And I think that that's the lost art of the church is like we don't, we don't get fed from our relationship with God. We're just, it's one more hamster wheel we're on. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. And I think that's almost why for me, it's like I'm not, if I'm doing anything, it's like meditating on scripture where mm. I'm not, I'm just letting it soak oh, into worship. me. You're such a worshiper. I love yeah. worship. Worship for me was actually in the beginning of my Devo and I still do it. It's, it was one of the easiest ways for me to connect to God yeah. and actually even getting filled with the spirit. I know a lot of times people complicate that or it's like hard for them to understand it within their own mind. And I'm, you know, for me, I was worshiping and it just ha- flowed out naturally. And yeah. I think that's an easy way for people who maybe struggle with that because it's almost like you're just kind of free. Um, but yeah, I just, I love all this. And, you know, I want to get to your book <laughs> um, because it's actually kind of a similar topic because yeah, it's about it encountering God. And this book is full of your different God encounters. So tell us a little bit about how this book came to be. Well, you know, I, it was funny because I, I talked to, um, the rest of the team on just different ways about it because it was just so interesting when someone hires you to write a book. And I was hired to write a book on Christians engaging entertainment and media and holidays. Like how do we have permission instead of taking all the permission away? How do we have permission to not be afraid of the devil everywhere? Mm -hmm. And I was so excited about the subject because I hate dualism in the church and I was going to go after it theologically and had some great interviews from people from Harvard who are Christians and people from Stanford. And ooh, I was excited. And then my publisher comes and says, we have a word from God that you're supposed to write a book out of your encounters and not do this book. Oh, that wow. you're supposed to, there's something about your core audience who needs a book, that this would be tone deaf if we did another book because there's something inside of you that needs to be heard right now. Never had a publisher do this to me. They've never done it to, this is Charisma Publishing, so they've never done it to 2,500 books and never said that, that they published. So they said, take a month, pray about it, see if something comes up. So I took, I was mad at first, yeah, frustrated, mad. And I was like, I don't know how to write my encounters in a way that like is even coherent. Because a lot of times when you read someone's encounter, you almost have to go to their school of how they've learned to hear from God, to interpret. And it feels very relevant to one church or one church movement, but yeah. not to everybody. And so I sat down after the first week and I was, sat down, I was like, God, I love my encounters with you, but they feel too vulnerable to share with people and they don't it feel like they would translate. Vulnerable. And so I don't know if I want to do this. And so 
I just felt like I'm going to just honor their word, though, and I'm just going to honor these encounters because they are good encounters. I've never really written them anyways, other than the little journal form. Mm-hmm. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to try and write the first one, which is about Solomon. I'm going to write this out. And when I wrote it, I ended up writing the whole book within a, about two-week period, about 10-hour to 12-hour period. And it flowed, and God connected these different encounters that I think will become the reader's encounter. And that's what the feedback we've got so far is people are saying, I found myself in this book. I, I felt prepared. I've started to understand God's process for my life. I started to feel His perceptions for me, like language that they would never use, and language that's very common language, not very super spiritualized language, but it's very super spiritual in the sense of the encounters. And so I think it's been really encouraging to release this book and see my core family and audience who doesn't always read everything I do because there's a lot of teaching. I do a yeah. lot of teaching on the prophetic and words of knowledge and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and whatever. And my, I mean, they'll read like a book and then I have like a workbook and then I have a study guide, and then I, you know, yeah. and they'll just do a little bit. But all my core people read this and are like, this changed me, Sean. Mm-hmm. So when your family reads it and your friends read it, it's like, that's like okay, a huge, that's huge. Seal of approval. Totally, because it hasn't happened for me since uh, the second book I wrote years ago, 2005. Okay, so talking about the encounters and while you were speaking, I was thinking about it makes people hungry. Yeah. And it almost gives, I hate to use the word jealousy, but it's like a spiritual jealousy because it's like you, we could all be encountering God in a really intimate way. But sometimes I think we just get so busy with life. But when we hear about somebody else, it's like when you hear yeah. someone's story where they go well, to heaven. It comes by hearing, yeah. right? So you hear it and you're like, me too, God? Like, do I get this too? It's like a child who's like, wait, you gave one you know, your, to your parents. Yeah. You gave one to them? What about me? You yeah. know, I do think there's that what about me kind of thing. Not mm-hmm. the wrong kind of envy, but that that I, I want, and I stand in all of what you did, God, do it for me too. Exactly. And I think that that's why I released. I think this book would have been something that you could talk about in green rooms around dinner tables 20 years ago. But now the church is hungry for an encounter with God. And we know we need one for our political situation, for our family situation. We're yeah. at like 8% or 68% nuclear family in America. You know, like we're, we're at an all-time low in so many areas. We're bankrupt in so many areas. So we need an encounter with God. And God's about to move in a worldwide way. And I think about the Jesus People Movement. So the Jesus People Movement, for 13 to 15 years beforehand, there was moral corruption, sexual corruption, mm-hmm. Uh, drug culture was just free love, free drugs, free everything. And and it was getting so dark that pastors, uh, the general pastors in America who were speaking on a public platform were sharing the end times were now and that we're going to be raptured and saved out of all this because it was so ugly. That didn't happen. Sounds like right now. <laughs> it sounds like right now. Yeah. What happened was God brought a love revolution. They thought it was going to be, a you know, the world thought they were going to have their own love revolution, but God was actually already instilling in culture bringing the best of music forward to to meet this demand of Jesus being seen and known and bringing you know some of the greatest leaders out of the world you know who got saved right in that time who are still pastors I told your mom earlier that 80 to 85% of pastors right now in office in America were saved in a 6 year period during the Jesus people movement wow whether they were saved directly from it or indirectly it doesn't matter and so I think we're about to hit a move of God again. That's why I wrote the book is because it, it really, it rewires the way you think to look for what God's yeah. doing and not to be afraid of what the enemy's doing and not to be so upset about what man's doing wrong because God can course correct it. And if you believe that God has an agenda for our generation and you believe that God wants to do some things and when you look at the enemy, it doesn't mean you don't, you ignore it or you're in denial, yeah. but you go, God already has an Indian checkmate. Where's the checkmate? Well, this conversation was so good, we can't fit it all into one episode, so be sure to stay tuned for part two. Hey, thanks for watching. Also, you can follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Lamb Weiss.